Hi, this is Georgia Kimmy, and this is my show, Piney Woods Justice. All about crime stories, all about addicts who've gone through recovery, people in prison, people in jail, criminal defense attorneys and prosecutors. Every angle you can imagine that would bring you an interesting story or something to motivate you and get you to think a little bit. Today's story is really going to get you to think a little bit. This is just like one of the craziest I have ever worked on. No lie. No lie. I don't, it's hard, hard to even think about where to begin. Um, this lady, Valeria Tenen, is in prison. She got a 70-year sentence last year for aggregated theft and fraud. She is African-American. She is 54 years old. She has mental health issues And when you hear about the scheme and scam that she came up with or allegedly came up with, it's going to blow your mind. She hired me on appeal, which means after she was sentenced and sent to prison, she wanted me to review all of the court transcripts and see what went wrong. And plenty, plenty went wrong. Her case took place in Conroe, Texas, uh, north of Houston, in Montgomery County. And it was with Judge McGinnis. But one other twist that happened right at the 11th hour, right before her sentencing hearing, which was months after she had pled guilty, this new witness pops up. This witness pops up in the form of videos. He apparently lives in Nigeria. After a few of these videos are released, he does say what his name is. And he does show himself riding uh, on a motorcycle down a rocky, dirty, dusty road, you know, with some like shacks in the background and scrubby brush. And you're like, where is this? And strange people walking in different outfits, you know, behind him and walking down the road. And you're like, well, doesn't look like America. The videos just kept coming and kept coming. And he says he's the one who committed the crimes. So that's what we call in the legal world exculpatory evidence. Something that would get the defendant off. Something that would show the defendant who's charged is actually not guilty. Well, this guy is not in America. So what do you do about that? I'm going to play his latest video that was released about... Uh, six weeks ago, a copy was sent to me as her attorney on record, and a copy was sent to Mr. Joel Daniels, who is the prosecutor in Montgomery County, who actually sent her to prison. He was the one who presented evidence. Well, the judge is the one who pronounced the judgment, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just very strange. This video, he doesn't really say a whole lot, but he does say enough to where the court would want to know. The prosecutor would want to know, where is this guy? Because if somebody is going to say, I did the crime, it wasn't her. Okay, they have to be willing to be arrested and go to jail for that, to be sentenced for that. If they're going to confess, you know, there's a whole lot that goes with it. But he's not here. So what does the court do? The videos are a little odd. One of them, he has like a towel wrapped around his head and he's he's in a hoodie. And he's like in a living room and some man kind of pops in and then leaves really fast 
so you don't know whose home it is. And because this case involved fraud of over a million, I think it was $1.3 million, it makes you wonder, was this guy paid to do this? Does she know him? How did he even get involved in the first place? He's saying he contacted her over the internet. He got a hold of her, had this scheme, gave her the idea, and was instructing her the whole way how to do it, that she's actually his victim, and that he's had other victims where he's done this in other states. But one lady he mentions is in Wisconsin. He says um, nobody was ever actually jailed, although there were some charges in the past. He's telling this to the prosecutor. That's who this video is for, or the judge, or jury, or court. He's saying, you've got the wrong person. And because some of his other victims were white and they were not sent to prison, he's claiming this is all racist, that Texas is racist. And that's why Miss Tenen had a sentence of 70 years, because she's black. I'm going to go a little bit into her case, the problems with her case, and what my points were on appeal after you listen to what this man had to say. It's just crazy. Here we go. Hi, Dennis Temple. I made this video today, the first day of February 2021. I'm making this video as a confession to the United States government, the Montgomery courts, and uh, the Governor Robert of Texas. I've mailed out several videos and several evidences, letters, proving that I actually pulled Valeria Tenen into the heist of acquiring $1 million from several parallel agencies. Valeria Tenen has been my victim. She has been my victim for a very long time. I've had other victims from the United States. I've had white victims, and I've had some other black victims. Tina Louise Greeno was one of my victims in Jasper, Wisconsin. She was one of my victims. Well, she had her cases as well, but she was not jailed. And I damn this racism. I committed the crime, and I'll come to the U.S. to make a live confession. But then, I needed to send this video across, and I hope it gets to who deserves to watch it. Because all my evidences have been kept underground, and you all are prosecuting an innocent old woman a crime she did not commit. Valeria Tenen is absolutely innocent. Why why has why has a few of you been telling me to come forward and say I was paid to do all this? Well I'm a hacker and I'm a spammer and my name is Dennis Temple. And I take full responsibilities of my crimes against the United States. 
shots for retinol. Valeretinol and her daughter, Ashley Dixon. Where am I? Wow, I mean, what do you make of that? Isn't that insane? What if it's real? What if, what if it's real? This guy in Africa finds her online and convinces her to steal money from him? Or maybe she doesn't know she's stealing the money. I don't know. I'm going to delve into this a little bit deeper. But first, let me tell you a little bit about what happened to her at trial, what she was accused of, and what happened as she went sailing through three different lawyers and really pissed off the judge. First off, let's, let's hear a little bit about the case. What she was accused of doing was setting up these companies that provided medical staffing personnel, you know, like a temp agency. Okay, she provided people to go work in temporary positions for different companies associated in the medical industry. Um, They weren't necessarily nurses, although they could have been, um, more like administrative staff. The names of her various companies were Elite Healthcare, A Hug Away, Team One, and Strategic Management Solutions. But what would happen is that she didn't provide these temporary personnel directly to the companies that needed extra staffing. She went through other temp agencies. Now, what I mean by this is that Suppose a hospital is shorthanded and they need extra people to work, uh, let's just say, for two months. They contact a temp agency. That agency sends them people, right? But in these particular medical fields, the people that have to fill these positions are very, very qualified. Some of them have particular license. Some of them have certifications in order to fill these positions. It's not just your average Joe walking out on the street and going in to apply for a temp job. Her company would contact medical personnel agencies and say, hey, we have the qualified people that you need to send out on these jobs. So do you see what I'm saying? She would tell the personnel companies that she had people qualified, highly qualified, in very specific areas. What would happen was her companies would send these people to the hospitals or clinics or doctor's offices or wherever to fill these positions. And in turn, she would collect their timesheets or her office manager would, her billing secretary would, and send them to the personnel company who was the front face for payment. So these staffing agencies would pay her company And then these staffing agencies would in turn send a bill to the hospital or the clinic or the doctor's office or wherever to get paid for the people that Miss Tennant's company would send to work. And what was going on was that the timesheets had been adjusted. The people didn't exist. Miss Tennant's company was getting paid a lot of money from these temp agencies for people that either she wasn't sending to work or had been reporting exaggerated hours on their timesheets. Did she do it? Did her company do it? Was this man Dennis Temple behind it all? 
Was there some swindler in her companies that she didn't know about? How did it all come down? Because it was company after company after company. She owned a bunch of different companies. She dealt with a bunch of different companies. She had a lot of different employees. It just gets very complicated after she was arrested because the aggregate or the total amount of funds that were supposedly swindled from all these personnel agencies amounted to approximately $1.3 million. Judge McGinnis in Conroe set her original bond at $400,000. When you have a bond and you're in jail, typically the bondsman is going to ask for 10% of the total to get you out. She got out in two days. That really pissed off the DA, and that really pissed off the judge. What happened while she was out? Oh, my gosh. What happened while she was out? She formed another company, and her company went right back to doing the same thing. So she got rearrested. So she had to bond out twice. Well, in my appeal, okay, a lot of things happened in all of her pretrial hearings. For example... She had mental illnesses, and she took a lot of different medications for those mental illnesses, and she had documentations of that. She tried to get her attorney to explain this to the judge and to get a competency hearing and to make allowances for that. No, he would have none of it. He and she fought back and forth. This would be Tristan Legrand, and this was her second attorney. The first one was a woman who was court-appointed. They didn't get along, and she got rid of her. She hired her own, but she didn't get along with Tristan either. In fact, Tristan refused to work for her after a while because he said she was making him do things that he didn't want to do, and the things that he did do for her, she didn't pay him for. So they had multiple arguments back and forth, which is not a good thing when you're charged with a major felony and you need an attorney on your side to help you with that. No, it did not go well at all. She ended up filing two grievances on her attorney, and he ended up filing two motions to withdraw as her attorney. Well, he didn't get to withdraw. The judge made him stay on the case, and her grievances didn't do anything. He kept his law license, so both of them were kind of at a stalemate. Because she did not get along with her lawyer, she did not trust him to defend her in a jury trial. So the day before jury selection, she withdraws her not guilty plea and she pleads guilty. She pleads guilty because she doesn't trust her lawyer. She doesn't think he's going to defend her. Oh my God. When you plead guilty like that, just on the spur of the moment, you have a sentencing hearing afterwards. It's a two-part process. Oh, and the state was loving it. They were going to get together all of this evidence. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of pages of evidence that they were going to present to the judge, of course, in order to give her the stiffest, longest, largest punishment ever. That's their job. Well, because she didn't get along with her attorney, in the middle of the sentencing hearing, they had a big fight in open court. So let me read you a little bit from the transcript of what she said to the judge. Oh my gosh. This was just crazy. I mean, it was it was like a circus. She interrupts the proceeding and says, I no longer want Legrand representing me. He's sitting here cursing me out. I'm sure it's on the speaker here as well. He's telling me, you filed grievances about me. 
Now let's see what happens. Basically, it's in my hands and I don't give a fuck on all this. He's cursing at me and threatening me and laughing about it. And then I say, well, and he says, so you still want me on it? And I say, well, we'll just see after you cross-examine Miss Aaron. And he says, how about I don't cross-examine her? This is my life. This is my life. She is practically like begging the judge to get him off her case. The judge relents and realizes that, yes, that is ineffective assistance of counsel. And yes, that is an appellate point. So the judge says, okay, fine, Mr. Lagrain, you can just go on home right now. Whoa. So this is in the middle of the sentencing hearing. All of a sudden, Miss Tennant is there representing herself. So the state brings another witness. And instead of cross-examining the witness like you're kind of taught in your evidence class in law school, I mean, she doesn't know what to say. Instead, she starts testifying herself, which is kind of like a sidebar, but anyway, you're not allowed to do it. So she starts asking the witness, well, why didn't you check the handwriting on the timesheets? Was that my writing or not? And then she's like, well, how do you know I didn't have receipts for all of that expenditure? And the judge is looking at her like, that's not how you cross-examine a witness. And then she just starts going on and on into areas that were not brought up by the state and were not according to the rules of evidence. Oh my gosh, she, she was just fouling it all up and the judge was getting frustrated. And so finally, Judge McGinnis said, you know what? You can withdraw your waiver of attorney. Waiver of attorney is what Miss Tennant filed on her own. She hand wrote it to the judge saying that she wanted to waive or give up her attorney. Then, when she realized she couldn't cross-examine in court, Judge McGinnis said, I will allow you to withdraw your waiver of attorney so you can hire somebody else. Woo! So the hearing stops. The hearing stops. Now, she has just a few days to find another attorney who's going to take on this monumentous task. She finds Jim Squires. Oh my gosh, Jim Squires is one of my very best friends ever. And you're going to hear from him in another episode. So she hires Jim Squires. But she doesn't like do it the very next day. She's given a little over a week because there was a weekend and a holiday in between before they were going to resume sentencing again. She hires Jim Squires and he doesn't know what the hell the case is about. Okay, but that could work in her favor actually. Because, again, that's ineffective assistance of counsel. Not because he didn't want to learn, not because they didn't get along, not because he didn't try, but just because he didn't have enough time. He didn't have enough time, and the state didn't give him hundreds of pages of evidence that they were going to be presenting at this sentencing hearing until the day before he was supposed to show up in court and represent her. So, again, I'm going to read some things from the transcript, and these are a few excerpts of what Mr. Squires was telling the judge when it was his turn to cross-examine a witness because he didn't even know who the hell these witnesses were. This is Mr. Squires. Judge, at this time, I want to go on the record to say I am not prepared to cross-examine Investigator Smith. I am not able to effectively represent my client. Prosecutor Holland. 
to offer states exhibits 523, 524, 529, which are all business records which have been provided to defendant's defense counsel prior to 14 days, other defense counsel. I am now tendering those to opposing counsel and ask that they be admitted. Mr. Squires replies, Judge, I don't object other than my prior objection, not being prepared, not seeing these prior to today, but I do not object to them being admitted on the record. Another time, Judge, once again, I do not feel prepared to question this witness, so I have no questions. Again, Judge, I do not feel like I can effectively question this witness, so I have no questions. So there you go. What was Mr. Squires going to do? He had no clue. That is ineffective assistance of counsel, people. And yes, that was in my appeal. There, there is a test for ineffective assistance of counsel, and it's from what we call the Strickland case. The test is, if you had a different attorney represent you, would the outcome have been different? In other words, the attorney that did represent you fouled it up in some way. So that if there was another lawyer instead, they would have done things differently and it would have resulted in a different outcome. Now, Miss Tennant has turned 55 since she was sentenced. So she's in prison, 55 years old, and she's got a 70-year sentence. They do parole you out and you really don't have to serve the entire 70 years. You might end up serving a third or maybe a fourth, depending on your behavior in prison and the parole board and how crowded they are, etc., etc. It's up to the parole board. But what is one fourth of 70? Okay, even if she did straight time for 15 or 20 years and she's got mental health issues, this lady could die in prison. Giving her a prison sentence of 70 years is like a death sentence. I mean, how extreme is that? It doesn't get worse than that, right? So, if she had had a lawyer who was prepared, he couldn't have done any worse. All right, who is Suzette Walsh? Suzette Walsh never came under the state's scrutiny, and yet Suzanne Walsh worked for Valeria Tennant. She worked for her as her billing manager, okay? A billing manager. Now, Valeria Tennant had, like I said, several companies going on. Was she the one who actually submitted each and every timesheet to the payroll company of the temp agency? I don't think so. She had a big staff working for her, okay? But when the state tried to question Suzette Walsh about what was going on in Valeria Tennant's company, Miss Walsh says, I did her software management. I did her staffing management. She doesn't mention billing at all. Then she says, I didn't have any issues with her other than a few checks bounced because she had problems collecting. She didn't have any money coming in. What? Then she says, I quit that, and I actually went to work for her at another one of her companies, and I worked for them full-time. And Valeria and I got along just fine, except for those bounced checks she gave me, which made me really stressed out. But I knew she was struggling. I knew she didn't have any money. What? And the state didn't bring her? Are you kidding me? She wasn't in this case at all. 
Ugh. So here's Mr. Dennis Temple. Excuse me, he's from Ghana in Africa. I think previously I thought he was from Nigeria. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not up on all of my countries in Africa. Anyway, here is an excerpt. It's a transcript, actually, from a prior video that he sent directly to the DA in January of 2020. Monday, January 6th, to be exact, at 20.08 p.m. And he says, My name is Dennis Temple from Ghana, here in Africa. And I'll just give you a breakdown of the alleged fraudulent charges against one Valeria Tenen of the United States of America and her daughter, Ashley, in Texas. Well... I'm not too much talking type, so I'll just go straight to the point. I shouldn't be doing this again, but I sent out an anonymous one in 2018 to the DA's office, and I was surprised to hear the case was still on. Basically, maybe because you guys hit it, but I don't care. It's your United States internal affair. Sometime in 2015, I think November precisely, I met Valeria on Facebook, where I use as a base to capture my victims. Valeria, funny her. She seemed eager to grow her company and create employment and opportunities, and she took the bait. I fronted in as the manager at Aerotech, a staffing agency in the United States, and gave her no reason to doubt my good intention. Well, my major aim was to make money, and she was the perfect catch. Made her provide all the informations I needed and set up payroll agencies and have her paid. And then in return, I had all the money removed from her account to multiple accounts. Valerie and her daughter Ashley, who I later brought into it, were so eager to make a name in the United States. And I was eager to make my money, which simply I did. The contract was to last a period of five years, but you all just came in the middle of the whole thing and sabotaged it with your whole court cases. Look, I am saying all this not because I feel sorry or anything, but because I don't want somebody else to go to jail or be blamed for my setup. No matter how hard you try, you can't catch a full crime syndicate. We are underground. We can't be touched, but I don't want someone else paying. Yes, lest I forget when it all started going south. Going south. And she became suspicious. I warns her not to say a word to anybody. If she did this, I'll have her family dealt with. Don't bother now, but I have my eyes and ears on United States soil. You can call me on my number at any time. But I warn you, do not trace this. The more you do, the more resources you waste. I'm out. <laughs> 